Welcome. Episode, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights here with Rich Klein. We're going to talk about Jim Bouton, uh, author of Ball Four, which was a, a revolutionary uh book back in the day that uh, caught uh, mainstream attention, uh, not uh, more notorious than famous, perhaps, certainly in the beginning. But uh, we're going to talk about those days and how that might relate to Sports Card Insights and and the current day, uh, which is uh, different from the pre-Ball 4 days. So uh, before we get going into that, thanks sponsors, uh, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Rich's employer, and and my uh, I'm enjoying that service. Uh, Rob, Let's see. Uh, Burbank Sports Cards with Robin Ryan Varis and uh, Mike Fruitman at Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, and Panini Tops and Upper Deck. So excellent sponsors. Uh, I guess Tops would be something that really would be related to Jim Bowden. I don't know that. I mean, I'm sure. Well, what's your reaction, Rich? I mean, welcome to the show. And then uh, the Jim Bowden thing, he's he's kind of in your Sweet spot because you were emerging as a young, uh, sharp young person when that all happened. He's really in my sweet spot because he lived not that far from me, maybe 20, 30 minutes. I never saw him, but he pitched, you know, in local leagues after his playing career. He was a local TV sports announcer for Channel 7 Eyewitness News. He basically, you know, he played most of his career for the New York Yankees until he ended up moving eventually. But he's a New York person. And so he's a New York person. And he knew how to keep himself in the public eye and not in a bad way. And, you know, he also did things like big league chew, you know, the gum. He did big league cards, I believe, out of Teaneck, New Jersey. The funniest thing is my cousin's wife worked there for many years. So, you know, so we, you know, so he was always around. And his cards to me were a fascinating thing, too, because he really only has seven years of cards, 62 to 68. I'm always surprised he didn't have 69 and 70 just because of the size of the sets and ball four hadn't come out. He pitched 71 games between the pilots and the Astros in 69. Granted, he's a middle reliever. He gets like one or two starts, but still he pitches 71 games. And so you would think that in 70, when they're coming up with people like Jose Rios of the Royals, who had 223 as a rookie, and then the first series of Juan Rios or whatever his name is, that you could find room for Jim Bounton. Well, and, he, yet, and yet they didn't. But he couldn't have been... Could he could he been blacklisted at that time? I mean, he quote unquote blacklisted. They just the Major League Baseball was not pleased with it. But book didn't come out till seventy, did it? Or the book comes out in like May of seventy. So I mean, he very easily could have had a lower series card in sixty nine or early seventy. In early seventy, because that's the diary of the sixty nine season. Yeah, so there's no reason for him not to have a sixty nine card, especially in the high numbers, right. in the, or in seventy, unless he was having some contract dispute with Tops. Yeah, but Tops was very player friendly. They were, they had gotten player friendly. And if you remember one of, and this is part of one of the real reasons baseball got so upset at ball four, Marvin Miller had just taken over a couple of years earlier, the players association. One, one of the first things he did was basically tell tops, you're going to start playing our players more money, or we won't take any poses for you, which is why in the 69 set, so many of the early photos are recycled photos, even from five, six years ago. Now, one of the things with ball four is Bounton skipping the skipping the curse words, skipping the idea that Mickey Mantle is a human being instead of some god. You know, Mickey Mantle drank and chased girls like everybody else. Uh, skipping all that, he also spends in the first part of the book quite a bit of time talking about how not all these major league players are getting very much money and how they're doing, you know, how they're getting hurt on the salaries and all that. And that, just as much as anything else, is what baseball didn't want the public to know about. 
well, that's an interesting perspective. Again, that's that's when all that stuff was was uh, was happening, and uh, he he apparently must have been somebody because I, I never met Jim Bouton, and he's passed away now. But basically, he didn't mind going against the grain, you know, to be uh, swimming uh, upstream or or you know going against the the, the flow that everybody if everybody was zigging, he was going to zag. So he, he 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 delighted in being different, perhaps. We call that contrarian today, and there's a lot. To, and a lot of times, you know, we're talking about sports card insights. And I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but a lot of times, if you're doing things in a contrarian fashion, you may not make money on the short term, but a lot of times you'll make more money on the long term because you're doing what nobody else is doing. Well, it starts. I mean, maybe starts with being a knuckleballer, uh, an early knuckleballer. I mean, it wasn't his only pitch, but he he'd been messing with a knuckleball. And if you're a knuckleballer back in the day when uh, when they weren't uh, as, as fully respected. You're, you're already a contrarian. Right. And, you know, and he had a blazing fastball when he came up and he, he hurt his arm. And then he realized the only way he could start keep doing what he really loved was learning how to throw the knuckleball. And he loved the game so much that he comes back seven, eight years after his play, first playing career ends and pitches in the, and gets his way back to the major leagues. And yes, the Atlanta Braves may have done some stuff to bring him up just so they could draw extra fans, but he won games and he pitched very well in 78. I always wanted to have a 79 Jim Bounty card just because I thought that would have been a really cool card just to have. But, you know, I'm sure the feelings were not, not there at the time. But that to me is a missed opportunity for Tops, not having a 79 Jim Bounty, even if they know he's not pitching anymore. Uh, you know, one thing that has impacted uh, the current players is this uh, more uh, realistic portrayal of the player and the person by the media. And so do you think he was the first guy to kind of blow that up to where then all of a sudden – said what the, the, the facade was, you know, the, the veil had been uh, punctured or, or shredded or lifted. I think he was the most obvious. At the same time, Bill Freehan, who's in very ill health now, uh, was writing a book called Behind, Behind the Mask. And he didn't have the curse words, but he had a lot of things to say about Denny McLean in the book that were not complimentary because of what McLean was doing. And he had a lot of stuff he talked about, but he didn't talk about it in any salacious manner. And actually, Jim Bounton was very careful not to name names in any of the stories. He was very good, but he still pulled the curtain back even more than freehanded. We were getting there slowly. Freehand's an example of how we were getting there slowly. Bounton's an example of pulling it back with much more speed. Um, 62 tops, uh, high numbers. You know, the the rookie parade guys. Uh, do you think they're short printed? It just seems like in certain parts of the country, some of those, they're, they're seemingly the last, last cards people need to complete their set. I think, and I know we'll talk about him in a different episode, Bob Euchre and Jim Bounton to me are almost two of a kind on that, where they are both rookie parade rookies. They are both tip, typically among the last three or five cards anybody needs for a set. And I think there's always been a perception of shortness of rookie parade cards going back to when you and I were buying original collections back in the day. You know, those were always tough cards. They, if, I, if I get a 62 collection today that was brand new, I bet I would almost guarantee you there'll be less of the rookie parades than there are of most of the other 62 hunters. So potentially short printed. Potentially short printed. But, you know, when you think about it, where the hobby was, and again, this is just heresy now, that, but, but 60 years ago almost, uh, there was an interest in these young players that were unproven. It was the opposite. I mean, they were just, I think, politely included. Uh, they, they weren't included like this is going to be the big, big draw for the set. We don't know why they're the last eight cards of the set, but it's interesting. It's also the first floating head cards, what they call floating head cards, Tops uses. Uh, they're the last eight cards in the set. Yeah. And remember, you know, we talk sometimes about regional interest. Well, you've got 
four or five teams on some of these cards. Right. So you've got. So if you want your sixty-two Kansas City Athletics set, uh, I think Ed Charles may be in one of those cards. Uh, you know, Southern Sam McDowell's a Cleveland Indian. Mountains a Yankee. So if you may not need, you know, you may not care if Jim Mountains on Sam McDowell's card. I believe they are on the same card. I'm not positive. But you know, if you're a Yankee guy, you the fact that McDowell's on it just makes it harder to get because everybody from Cleveland also wants that card. You know, you're just pointing out something that I really hadn't thought about that uh, that uh, nowadays, and and you know, your uh, your colleague Stefan is uh, you know Junkwath's twins, and uh, Ben is the A's guy. So there there's always been some team collectors, but I, until you just mentioned that, I thought you know what, there have always been team card uh, team uh, collectors. That even if you go back into the 70s and the 60s. There are people that are just really only interested in cards of their team. And the way you have expressed that now, it makes those uh, 62 tops rookie parade problematic because, you know, there's, uh, you know, we're, you know, it's like in the breaks. If it's a team break, I mean, where, where does it go if it's got five different teams on it? So, um, uh, yeah, I never thought about it. I thought, you know, I was thinking team could. Back in the day, more people, I think, were complete set people. You could afford the complete sets a lot easier in those days. But, you know, but Bounton has interesting cards, you know, and the rest of his too, his 63 tops cards, not that easy. It's like number 401, 64 is a semi-high, 68 the last series, you know, and it talks about him coming, you know, with his arm issues. It's got, he's got some, I don't want to say cards as tough as a 62, but you'll have some challenges if you, you know, you'll get them if you go to ComC or Rob's store on Beckett Marketplace or eBay or anywhere else, you'll get the cards. But, you know, you can run into trouble getting some of them because they're just not as easy as, you know, if he was just a low number run in a lot of these sets. Right. You know, the other thing that um, that's interesting to me, and it, it, it kind of applies to other things, but his his first book was so controversial. And then the, he it made a name for himself that was that was awkward because it, it was not a good name in certain circles. Uh, but again, he was a, he was an engaging personality and all that stuff. But the point I would make is that he actually wrote a couple of sequels that really, who reads the sequels? I mean, he was kind of maybe setting the record straight or clarifying, but it's kind of like if you make, if you have a headline kind of a statement and then the next day say, Oh, I didn't exactly mean that. And they put that on, you know, they bury that on the, you know, in the small print. I mean, your, your first volley gets out there and that's it. And you can't come back a year or two or three or five later and say, Oh, here's what I really meant. Well, I will say his follow-up book, which came out the next year, I'm glad you didn't take it personally. That I did read, which and that did. really doesn't take back a lot of what he said. Ten years later, 25 years later, he did update and did do some updating with some things, but he left the book alone. He didn't edit within the book. It would be like in an epilogue or in a prologue if he made right. any changes. He did Ball Five, you know, which, right. again, would seem to be a clever title, but like I said, I think he's totally known for his uh, – for his, um, for his first book, you know, that's, that's dominated. And, and, and again, just last question here, Rich. I mean, it's um, th- that notoriety. It's kind of like a cliff. Uh, I mean, a Kurt flood thing that here's a guy that was, uh, you know, in a similar time period, uh, you know, stood against the establishment and was also like Kurt flood was an excellent player, an excellent player. Uh, do, do either of those guys get the due they deserve uh, in the value of their sports cards? Uh, Kurt flood's rookie card for sure. Kerfoot's rookie card is a 58 card, and I think the last time I looked up the book value was like $30 or $40, which is about where Veda Pinson's rookie is from about a similar series. And Veda Pinson's a borderline Hall of Famer. You know, we talked once about Thurman Munson being a borderline Hall of Famer, but Veda Pinson you could even make a better case for than Munson. And Kurt Flood's priced the same as he has. And in terms of the Hall of Fame, 
you know, if we look at it at the Hall of Fame, Kirk Flood probably could have had a Hall of Fame career if he had just finished the normal pattern. But he's also fa- he also became famous for all this. You know, and there's the classic line, a $90,000 a year slave is still a slave that he said to Howard Cosell. You know, and Kirk Flood is a Hall of Famer in a way because he changed baseball history. You know, what he did is he's not the one that got free agency. He's the one that really put the spark to getting free agency. Okay, well, we, we are out of time now. I've got one last trivia question for you. That Go ahead. You may or may not know, but uh, it's hobby related. Who, what famous hobby person has a favorite player who is Veda Pinson? Hmm, that one I don't know. If I told you how much he weighed, that would be a pretty good clue. Rich Altman? No, you're, you're, you're getting there. If I told you what state, what two states he lives in. I don't know. If I told you he had an assistant named Nacho. <laughs> Nacho? Oh, I love Nacho. Nacho's such a good guy. No, it's Kit Young. It's Kit Young. Kit Young's uh, one of his two favorite players is Veda Pinson. I can't remember who the other one is, but he's, he's, uh, Kit is such a nice You study. He's, you know, and he's like most of the guys that we really enjoy. They're, they're great collectors. They're great people and they're great baseball fans too. So let's, let's, uh, let's leave it at that. Thanks uh, listeners. A little walk down memory lane with respect to, to, uh, Jim Bouton and Ball Four, and we will uh, be back again tomorrow. So thanks, Rich. Thanks, listeners. See you tomorrow.